0: You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast.
1: Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by
0: Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry
1: leaders, and be motivated by real life experience. Business Unusual. So I, th- I think let's get into it. So today um, on the Business Unusual podcast, uh, we have the, the great privilege of having uh, an award-winning, a multiple award-winning um, uh, businesswoman, um, Dr. Snowy Koza from Big in Africa. She's a chairperson, but she also is so much more than that. Um, And so, uh, you know, welcome to the Business Unusual podcast, Snowy. How are you? I'm very blessed, uh, Ralph. How are you doing? Yeah, good. I think I'm always good when the sun comes out. I realize that winters are not my strong point. I'm one of those people who who needs his vitamin D. So, um, and the (laughs) sun's out. Yeah. So Cape Town had a long cold winter, and so we're getting out of it. So I don't know where are you in are you in Joburg at the moment or Pretoria? I'm
0: in Pretoria. I'm in Pretoria. It's nice and sunny. It's a
1: sunny day today, nice and warm. It, it helps with the, the good vibes, right? That motivate. no, definitely. <laughs> so I mean, we had our top woman awards last week, Friday, and you were honored again as highly commended businesswoman. And I mean, you have received a number of awards from TopCo in terms of like the National Business Awards from Top Woman, Top Performing, Top Empowerment. I mean, you're a multi-award <laughs> winning business person. And I think I was so excited to, to have this because sometimes in the awards, you're busy and you're overseas and you're setting up businesses all over the world. And so I don't often get a chance to, to chat to you. But, and so this for me is like really fantastic. But I think more than that, um, I think what is truly amazing is that you're one of the few women um, in your sector who's driving um, business growth in your sector. So I think that's a, an accolade, but also I think you come from really, really humble beginnings. And I think that story really fascinates me. And I think that it's a, it, you know, it's a passion of yours to help underprivileged or disadvantaged communities and people and transform their, their lives. And, and I see that as so aligned to what we're trying to do. And so maybe before we kick into what you're doing and how you're doing it, maybe you can just go through a little bit about back, your, your background, where you came from and, and, and your journey. Thank you very much,
0: Ralph. Let me first start by thanking uh, Top Comedia for the awards over a number of years. I appreciate it. And also Standard Bank for partnering with you guys to recognize a number of powerful and dynamic women around the country. And truly, it's a, it's, we are honored and humbled for that. Thank you so much. Ralph, um, where do I start? You know, um, I have said it many a times, I come out of humble beginnings humble beginnings because I was born in a family that was extremely poor to the extent that it was a struggle for me to go to school. A number of times um, I found myself out of class because of various reasons, one of them being not having books to write on, not having textbooks in those days where your parents were forced to buy you school books, sometimes because I did not have the right uniform um, to be at school, and um, found myself walking long distances to go to school, with no shoes, walking in gravel roads, crossing, small rivers and mountains and bushes and um, having to spend days on end without food but still going to school. So I come from that background where, really truly speaking, where I am today, I understand what poverty is all about. And it touches my heart to see people still struggling even to this day post-apartheid, you know, um, in the democratic country as ours in South Africa, still we have a number of people still struggling, the same struggles that I went through when I was young. Coming out of that, it was not easy. I had a number of people, organizations, companies, Churches that supported me in my journey to be able to finish school. A number of families, especially my neighbors, made sure that sometimes once in a while, I would have a piece of bread to eat. A number of them also assisted me to give me old shoes and clothes to wear organizations such as race relations and coca-cola and a number of them some of them i might have missed and i apologize assisted me by giving me funding at those days bursaries to be able to finish my high school and go to um university ralph it was not easy it was a struggle just even to go to university not having money to catch a train to from here in Pretoria to Petersburg, because I went to Teflop, University of the North now, to study. It was not easy. It was very difficult. In addition to that, the political environment in this country, remember we are the 1976 youth, the youth that had to fight for the release of many prisoners, including the release of Tata Mandela. Going to university, it was the same struggle. Many a times, universities in those days have to close because we were on riot, refusing to write exams until such time that those prisoners were released. We were harassed by police. We were running you know, to, in the bushes and, and spending a lot of time out of university. So, my journey of for my university days, it was not easy, it was very difficult. And still being poor. I recall a day when we were chased out of university, the university was closed. I sat for days in the bush with no food, Ralph. And it was not easy, it was very difficult. You know, you start going out around the bush looking for and um, you know natural fruit that you can get in the bush to eat. But ultimately, I managed to finish my first degree at University of the North. And with the support of many others as well, as well as government at the time, I managed to have my honours degree, my master's degree, and my doctoral degree abroad. I got uh, international race relations and international education institute supporting some of us to go to university abroad. And that's where I did my PhD at Brenda's University in Boston, Massachusetts. While there, I had to participate in mobilizing South Africans to vote in 1994 because I was outside the country. So I voted in 1994 while in Massachusetts. And when I finished my PhD in 1996, I said to myself, I'm going back home. And I came back to my country. And coming back, for me, it was mainly to say, I want to be one of the development activists that will fight to increase the removal of poverty, unemployment, and so on in this country and improve the quality of life of people. That's my short story and my struggles, love. Without people, without organizations, without my commitment, my resilience, my determination to ensure that I achieve with that support, my education, because for me, education is key. And therefore, that is why even in my life, in my personal capacity, I have supported a number of young people to go to school. Even before government came with the school program to support poor children to go to school, I had started that long time ago with um, an organization called World Vision in those days. And even now, assisting number of students that are struggling even when they're at university still not having good accommodation not having clothes not having food to ensure that they complete their studies why ralph mainly because i was assisted by so many people and other organizations, and my determination is to do the same you know to support those that require the, the necessary support
1: wow i mean it's a very humbling uh story and i think for me it's really difficult because i i have never been challenged in the way that you've been challenged so i'm trying to put myself in your shoes and it's really difficult because um you know i i sort of moved around when i was young from country to country um my dad was an entrepreneur and it, it, it was sort of um it was it was He was rich one minute and then we were poor the next, but it certainly wasn't the sort of poor that I think that you went through. And so it is really humbling. But also, I think that there is, like you mentioned, there is a reality that we are in a situation in this country and in the continent where this in in many ways hasn't really improved. There's still so many people in desperate situations. And and I think what, what intrigues me is that we need to solve this. Because if we don't, it's going to lead to a destructive society. We, we, we're not moving forward in a positive way. Um, if we can't solve these challenges, it's, you know, 2020 and we should have overcome these. So for me, it's really around uh, how how can we help these young people? How can we help groups of communities? Um, you didn't mention it, but, um, you know, what, one of the groups is, I know that you're very Christian and um, I, 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 and and I see a lot of, um leadership globally from faith orientated leaders so you know um in the book from good to great they talk about the level five leader but they also talk around most level five leaders are faith-based and they're bringing those principles and discipline of faith into their work environment How, how important was faith in your your salvation or your your journey
0: You know, Ralph, I grew up in a very Christian family. I was raised by my grandmother, whom I saw her faith in the higher being, which for me, being God Almighty, being able to look after us as orphans, raising us because because of her faith. People believed in her and contributed to having a meal at the end of the day. Secondly, I've seen my faith in putting me in positions where I'm able to influence the lives and the livelihoods of people who are struggling and having walked in the same journey that they've walked of poverty. Thirdly, being that the values that are espoused of being incorruptible and living a life of goodness and doing good to to people and to my country is what has really, really driven me and anchored me to remain in my faith because I see the goodness of my faith in doing good to others. So if I take, for example, Ralph, that when I see people struggle and having understood and having gone through the struggles myself, I know that I have to do something. I cannot keep quiet. I cannot keep what I have, which I I have been blessed with, if I have resources For example, money and accommodation and food and clothes and not share that with those that do not have. So for me, doing good is what drives my faith and that's what I do to really truly assist those that do not have. Secondly, as a leader, how do I lead those that have been entrusted in in me and in the organization that I lead, I have to be a servant leader. I have to show them how to lead and lead with humility, with the understanding also that I don't have it all, I don't know it all. I came in, Ralph, into an organization which is highly technical. I am not a technical person, but because of my faith and because of appreciating the goodness that is in everyone every individual in my business has got something to contribute to build this company and i have learned to appreciate that and surround myself with their goodness and their contribution to broadly contribute to the company so that the company can succeed that comes from my faith Mm. thirdly my faith taught me to say whatever that we do in business we must do good while doing business in every opportunity in every project in every country where as a business we can contribute and do more to improve the quality of life of people in those communities that's what we need to do that's my faith my faith says it's not only about profit, it's about people, it's about the environment, it's about improving the quality of life and livelihoods of all people that we work with. So, job creation for me is a must. Mm. Removing and reducing poverty is a must. Mm. Leaving assets in communities like water like clinics like schools is a must and for me that's my faith of doing good while doing business and lastly remembering that every individual has to have the opportunity to realize themselves and therefore for those young small entrepreneurs those backing builders those women with wheelbarrows that they can bring into a construction site and make money, it's my faith. It's what I believe needs to happen. So Ralph, I can go on and on to say, even just making decisions of whether it's right or wrong, I will always bend to doing right and to doing good. If I do something wrong, I would have done my best to do good in that process. The, the end result should be, I have done everything in my ability to influence the goodness of the outcome that I'm looking for.
1: I mean, it must've been hard at many times because you, you come from this disadvantaged background. Everything was against you through poverty, <laughs> um, not eating sometimes to be angry or unhappy, but it seems that you've been able to place that energy in a way of giving back and doing good. Was that hard? I mean, is that hard? Because there's a lot of people who struggle and sometimes they, they, the energy is put into anger and resentment. Is it hard to put it into good? Is, is there something that you do to place that energy in the right place?
0: You know, Ralph, um, I think it, it is hard if you're surrounded by people who are angry, who are bitter, who are not forgiving but for me i found it easier because of the position that i'm at to being able to influence people to turn around their attitude because attitude drives behavior so if you say to people that in every individual there's goodness and we must appreciate the little goodness that people have and not be bitter and be angry and forgive i mean Ralph it's just like carrying the burden of the past what i went through when i was young as a student and as an entrepreneur i cannot keep that as and and and, and be bitter and be angry forever i must let go and i must forgive and therefore i must do good to show that people can turn around and still do good, even if they suffered in their journey of their lives. And therefore understand that the people that we're working with, that we want to do good with, have not contributed to our past. I mean, you look at the young generation of entrepreneurs. It's a mix of people that came from prior, you know, successful, well-off, families, and children who are coming from the poor. So I cannot separate young people and say, you guys, because you came from Ralph and you were privileged, you don't understand poverty, I cannot assist you, it's unfair. We must treat people as a collective, as one people, and young people in particular, young women and men, and build them to become entrepreneurs that will contribute and do good in the future. And that for me, Ralph, I find it easy to do because of my belief that if I let go and I forgive of what happened in the past and look at people as people and as one, irrespective of race, irrespective of gender and exposure and cultural background and so on and so on and treat them as people and do good to all of them, that will drive this country and the continent to a better place, and where people would be able to
1: live. Yeah, and I, do the pod- I did a podcast with Lincoln Marley, and um, he also loves giving back to the youth as well. And yeah. I was saying to him, I've seen some of his speeches, and he's like a fan club when, when he speaks, it's crazy. I said to him, <laughs> how do you do it? Like, I've got three young boys, and I, I even struggle sometimes to actually just listen to them. And I think you're saying of, um, you know, look at people for people. Um, it's probably one of the hardest actual real things to do because you've got to, in that moment, take yourself out of who you are right now and take all away your biases and all your previous thoughts and be an an empty vessel for that moment.
0: Yeah, and especially, Ralph, if you think that you are building the future, you know, you want to build a generation, a future generation that will look back at us and say, we did bad we did our best to improve the quality of life. You don't want to be kicked while you are in the grave by a young generation that said, but what did our forefathers and our foremothers do? You know, look at all the wrong, all the wrong that we see today, corruption and theft and all sorts of things, murder, you know, gender-based violence and all sorts of this aggression. We really need to address it as individuals, as families, as communities, as a country. It cannot go on. The future generation has to have a clean, lived, value-based societal life Mm. that gives them the environment to be themselves and be good, Mm. even for their future generation. And that we need to correct now as society, as business, as people in
1: this country. For sure. I think we need a reset. I think Standard Bank said it to us with Top Woman. We need a culture reset, yeah. not just in terms of gender empowerment, but just attitudes yeah. and mindset to... Culture reset. Culture reset's needed. In terms of you know the way we're behaving, the way we do things, um, it's time now, I think, that COVID's almost given us this opportunity allowed us this opportunity to create a culture reset and and redefine the new rules of how we want to engage with each other.
0: Indeed. And we have seen, even during COVID, uh, Ralph, a number of people came out and contributed and gave, you Mm. know, to those families and communities that were struggling. We appreciate that. That is Mm. Ubuntu. That's Mm. who we are in this country. And Mm. it has to continue. It cannot Mm. stop. Even post-COVID, that cultural reset is critical, and we must all drive Ubuntu, that we are who we are because we are together as people. That, for me, is critical.
1: I mean, for johnny who's CEO of, of personal business banking for Standard Bank, in her speech, she said she feels that the emphasis needs to be on reinvesting back into the communities you came from, because very similar to you. She also came from a very, very humble beginning, also brought up by her grandmothers. She's in the Mm. school she went to, not one person passed (laughs) in that school. And yet yet she became a chartered accountant and now she's a, a, a chief executive. It's so amazing how many women I speak to who are successful now, who came from the most humblest actually beginnings, but I think maybe I want to go on to something else. And that is, there's probably a lot of women that look at where you are now. And think, how do I get there? How do I also, you know, rise up to where you are? And one of the things that we saw from our research from Top Woman is, and it was with KPMG actually, there was a lot of research around um, when there was opportunities for promotion. And and Fenneke actually said she got the opportunity to get promoted as a partner at PwC, and she took it. She had no right to take it. There was more qualified people, but she put her hand up. And what they found with at KPMG was there women, when it came to an opportunity, men, if they had 70% of the skill, say 50% of the skill, would put their hand up. I can learn. Where they found mm-hmm. that women with, with 70% of the skill said, well, I'm not quite there yet, and so I'm not going to take up this opportunity. And it's, it's almost like you went into an engineering and infrastructure business not having the technical abilities. So you knew you didn't have that. But you thought, well, that, that's not a problem. It's what I bring to the party. Are you finding that with women empowerment, that it's not just about the opportunities, but it's also about the women that they need to release themselves of these burdens of not knowing and, and not having all the skills and, and learning it?
0: Yeah, no, I think, firstly, Ralph, let me say that, firstly, it's important for women to develop themselves, you know, to appreciate what they have in themselves and grow that. Secondly, determining what is it that they want to do and become and have role models that will drive them to become who they are. I have made opportunity for a number of women, not only in big but in other boards where I speak at, identifying the capabilities and the capacity of these women to grow themselves and be given the opportunity to grow and to excel. I have said to my daughter, for example, because she would say, Mommy, um, I'm done with what I was supposed to do because she's fast, you know, she's, she's brilliant. And then I said, No, you must go to every division in the bank and ask them, is there anything that you can contribute to? Is there anything that you can do? I say the same to all women that I coach and I mentor, to say, wherever you are, avail yourself to learning more. You don't only work for your division or your department in a business. If you are in finance, go to risk, go to the technical section, just go and learn and see what they are doing and ask them questions and avail yourself to learn and know more. The third thing is for me is companies and CEOs being able to identify talent and ensure that that talent that has been identified is given opportunity to practice what they have learned. Because promotion, you can promote people and make them to fail but promotion must be for success because you know that you are giving somebody an opportunity to grow, you promote them. When you promote them, you need to surround them with an environment that is conducive for them to learn and grow even better and be resilient and be sustainable in those positions. Because sometimes you find that young people are promoted quickly but they're not given the necessary support that they have to have to be able to stay there in those positions. And also what is critical is for the leaders of organizations, for example, CEO, have the opportunity to go and see how people are learning and also take them in, into your fold and share with them your experiences and your journey because a lot of people think being a CEO, Ralph, is, is a nice position to have. It is a very difficult position. You know, I, Ralph, I found myself sometimes chairing a meeting and having to ask for a body break, to go and breathe and to release the anger and the disappointment, and sometimes to go and pray, to say, Lord, I don't know what to say now. This is this is just too much. And then I have to connect myself.
1: I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that.
0: It's, it's important, Ralph, because if you lose your mind in a meeting or, or you lose Ring your it, cool, it. if you lose your cool in a meeting, it's not, you're not going to be respected. You need to be able to absorb and say, can we just take a body break? Five minutes break, we'll come back. This is a very difficult decision that we must make. Oh, and release that. Five minutes. Take a walk, oh breathe. Do breathe. Is I pray, and then I come back. I'm calm, and then then I can. So people need to understand, Ralph, that it is very difficult to be in a very senior position. It's not easy. It's a nice title to have, but you have to have the capacity to absorb, you know, criticism. You have to have the capacity to understand that your anger is your anger. You cannot unleash your anger to other people and that, you know, people are looking at you as a role model and you need to be able to live your life, which is something else also, in a healthy manner. To be healthy, you need to exercise, to eat right, you know, to have a good mind, to have Mm -hmm. an environment which is conducive that helps you. To sustain yourself in that position. A number of people end up being sick as leaders. A number of people end up resigning from their positions because it's just too much. I don't know how many times, <laughs> Ralph, that I thought about, no, I can't take it anymore. It's difficult. Uh, what do I do now? But then I know that, you know, I'm here for a purpose. God put me here because there's a reason. I, can, I cannot run away. I'm going to stay here. I am a resilient, hardworking African woman and I will stay. And I stayed. Thank God.
1: Yeah, thank God. Yes, indeed. And it's so good. I, I'm gonna use your tip there because I also do find that um it is that it's that you you have, I think, have belief in people and you're a bit surprised and you're like, oh my, what that? <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> Where does this um, That's true. Um, yeah. I'm thinking you're up here and you're acting like here. And so, like, yeah. And so there's a. And you get, disappoint.
0: you get disappointed, but you can't write off those yeah. people.
1: And it comes through in anger. And so that's why that reset's important. I'm taking all these pearls of wisdom, eh? This is, it feels like a course in leadership. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm also learning from you, huh? I, I don't know. So maybe we could get on to the next point, which was. Um, really talking around South Africa and maybe Africa a little bit as well, because you've got that, that, you know, you're an African business. And, you know, we're not an island, we're part of Africa. But first, maybe let's just talk about the role of infrastructure development in growing our economy, because with COVID, we know that we need to grow this economy. And, you know, when we saw the World Cup, we saw big infrastructure projects, we saw some white elephants and we saw a deterioration in the construction at business generally and, and many companies moving overseas like yours and thriving and possibly thriving because you did have a different approach it was a community-based sustainable approach um, that was quite novel and unique. and And so, and I'd imagine that's well received, but we need to get back to the business of building South Africa and Africa again and and so you know your involvement with the development bank your involvement with some of those ministries where you advise them it's it you have that insight that not many people in corporate business have um and and so what do we need to do because i mean i spoke to later Faree, i spoke to um, colin coleman um, and a number of people and are very clear that if we want to really kickstart this economy, the best way to do that is to drive infrastructure projects. And the president has the, the ambition, but I think there's some challenges in terms of process uh, with that. What, what are your thoughts? How can, we, how can we get that going again? Yeah, uh,
0: Ralph, let me first say that I was very blessed You know, last year I was involved with the investment conference twice actually last year and the year before, and also being part of the panel that had discussions with the president in terms of how we believe infrastructure development can facilitate and grow the economy. And, you know, it was a blessing to have that opportunity because it gave the president and the leadership of our country the opportunity to truly reflect. You know, having heard from people who really are in the infrastructure space and the president also, our president in South Africa being the chairperson of the African Union and leading the growth strategy through infrastructure development for the continent. So uh, with that contribution, I believe that we are where we are as a country to use infrastructure development as a driver for economic growth and economic development in the country. And therefore, as you know, the Office of the President established a unit that is looking after infrastructure development led by Dr. Ramukhopa, And currently, uh, the MOU that was signed between our government and the Development Bank of Southern Africa to establish the infrastructure fund. And recently also, um, the DBSA appointed a group executive, Muhali, to lead that infrastructure fund. So in terms of process, I think we're getting somewhere. We also know, Ralph, that... There was an announcement of the strategic infrastructure projects, which we call SIPs, that were announced, which are a number of massive infrastructure projects, which if they are implemented, they will hugely contribute in the development of the economy in this country. So as a country, as government, government is doing something. But what is nice, Ralph, is that government has realized that partnership with the private sector is critical. So our PPP model, which has been a fantastic model, which has been emulated by a number of countries, is critical in terms of implementation of infrastructure development. So what am I saying? We, as the private sector, we believe that infrastructure development will drive the economy of this country. And I think if it was not because of COVID, we would be somewhere. But we believe that post-COVID, because the processes have started, the systems have been put in place, infrastructure development is going to be the key and number one driver for economic growth in this country. And I am excited about that. And my company and other companies that are in the infrastructure space, we have submitted a number of projects as part of the SIPs, and we're really keenly waiting for the igniting of that just post-COVID, and even in this process, in this time of COVID, that process is continuing. I believe, therefore, Ralph, that no other driver other than infrastructure development would drive the huge impact that will come out in terms of job creation, especially among the young people, especially among graduates, where people will be employed, therefore be able to reduce poverty and improve the quality of life of people. We still have a number of schools which are not up to scratch in this country. Children are still falling in pit toilets in this country. Children are still walking long distances to go to school. Some families do not have homes. There's still a number of communities while the Minister of Water has done a lot of work in providing water during this season. That needs to continue because there are still communities that are struggling with clean water. And I can go on and on and on. Hospitals, we have done a bit in terms of COVID, to put hospitals and health facilities, but we still need to do more. Mm. And I can go on and on. Mining, agriculture, food security is critical in this country. Mm. We've got best lessons from different farmers that we can use to regenerate agriculture and food security in this country. We are saddened by what we see in terms of farm murderers We cannot condone this, it's unacceptable and that must stop because food security must drive economic growth also in this country. So it's infrastructure development, agriculture is also critical in this country to drive economic development. Our industries, all the full value chain industries are also important in this country to drive economic development. I'm saying in this country, referring to South Africa, but we, because we are also based in different countries and around the continent, it's the same story, it's the same message. Mm-hmm. Working with Africa Development Bank, which funds infrastructure development, the president of Africa Development Bank has a great strategy in terms of the high five, and one of them is providing food for and enlightening the, 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 the continent. So all of those for us are part and parcel of the infrastructure development drive that must happen, not only in South Africa, but through the continent. Mm-hmm. Road networks, rail networks, airports, seaports, all of those are critical to drive what we call the integrated, coordinated infrastructure development on the continent. The Mm. Africa Free Trade, I mean, Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement Mm. gives us the opportunity as Africa to work together integratedly and to be able to have free movements of goods, services, people and capital onto the continent. And that for me, Ralph, Mm. is a key driver for Africa rising, for this continent to shine, and for all of us as Africans to contribute in building this continent and bringing back those African diaspora, African you know, intellectuals to come back onto the, onto the continent to make their contribution. And all of us, we've got that obligation to be able to do that.
1: I think you could, uh, you kind of answered about three questions in one there, which was we're losing, there's a brain drain. There's people who are not believing in, I think COVID sort of uh, created a little bit of imbalance as well, where uh, there's a lot of people who lost, I suppose, faith in Africa, the continent or South Africa a little bit with what was happening. There seems to be a bit of a change, which is great. But I think your optimism is infectious right and we need to share more of this this message <laughs> and the, the problem that i see is that we can share the message and say there's lots of things happening and whatever but i, I get the sense that people want to see action a bit like the arrests that happened last week it was it, yeah. it, it was it was a you know a, a really a changing moment in in our history i think and yeah. and i suppose the question is how do we drive how do we speed up even some of these projects because i'm sure you also want to get going on the good work because i think once you get one or two of these projects off and running the optimism the focus will shift then and the attention will be very much on delivery and which is great so i mean do you, do you have any insights for how we can get these things is it, is it just a due diligence is it a financing scenario is it is it because of the corruption that people have to now go and do this checks and balances
0: Yeah, it's a a number of reasons, Ralph. Firstly, it's leadership. You see, if you've got visionary leadership, you know, leadership that can see into the future and leadership that is concerned about the lives and livelihoods of people will drive the whole process of infrastructure development. We have it in this country, but we also don't have it Mm. because there are some leaders who can see into the future in terms of improving the quality of life of people, but there are others who do not see that because for them it's about their livelihoods and their lives. Which is unfair because when you become a leader, it's not more about yourself. It's about others. But if you're a leader, that you are in there for yourself and your family and your cronies, it's sad. And that's where corruption comes in. So, The procurement processes, you know, also is another contributor to all of this. Because if procurement was such that it was tightened, we try to do that as a country through national treasury. I mean, we had the opportunity to, to contribute to the procurement act that has just come out. To say, look at this, look at this. Because we believe that... As a contributor for this country to grow, you cannot keep quiet when things are wrong. You need to be able to voice yourself to say, are you aware that this procurement process is not correct? And I am suggesting, it's not. I'm not there to criticize, I'm there to contribute, to say, I'm suggesting that we do this one, two, three, four, to correct that, and then we'll see the procurement process being correct. Mm-hmm. The last thing, for me, is that you can have, Ralph, all the good policies and regulations and acts, but if implementation is flawed where you don't have the capacity to deliver and the capacity, I'm talking about people who are knowledgeable, who understand why they are there, rather than appointing the wrong people in positions of power, and positions of leadership, And those people now do wrong because they're taking instructions from somewhere to do the wrong. Mm -hmm. And because they are not bold enough to be able to stand their ground and refuse to be corrupted or to take instructions that are not right, that capacity is one of the things that fails us as, as a country. So in brief, all I'm saying, Ralph, is that we need to get good leadership visionary leadership that is committed in improving the quality of life of people and their lives and the livelihoods of creating jobs and making sure that poverty is eradicated, making sure that people have got the necessary infrastructure. Service delivery happens. That's the types of leaders we need. Secondly, is that the processes, the acts, the regulations, the policies have to be such that They are allowing service delivery to happen. It's easy, it's fast-tracking, it's unblocking, you know, situations where people are not able to implement because of regulation or PFMA or whatever that is there that blocks people from delivering what needs to be delivered. The last one for me is capacity. The people that we put in place to deliver services. If those people don't have the capacity and the knowledge, and capacity is not about the knowledge and the experience and the qualifications, it's about the conviction that people must have in themselves to be bold, to say, I will not be corrupted, I refuse to take instructions because they don't help in the delivery of services. Those three, for me, will turn around this country and we will see the benefits of us as taxpayers, the money that we pay going down to those people that do not have jobs, the poor. I,
1: I, I love your enthusiasm. and I, I love your enthusiasm and your passion is so electric. And I'm thinking about the people who are listening to this and they're probably clapping like I want to because you're <laughs> it's, it's, it's so spot on. But, I mean, you know, growing leadership is not an easy thing. A leader is... You know, we, we, we talk about a lot of people working in organisations. How do we de- develop leaders better? I mean, you do coaching and mentorship of, of young leaders. Is, is it that? Is it about facilitating more coaching and mentorship of leaders?
0: Yeah, but also being being able, Ralph, to identify. You know, I always say, if I believe that leadership is a calling, I believe it's a calling. You know, it's a calling because you have to be, you have to know that this is what you want to do and being able to say no when you're called to lead, when you know you can do it. Immediately when you say yes, it means you are ready to stand and be resilient, be respected and learn from others and be able to contribute to what you are asked to lead. And for me, that's very important. So it's not only about coaching and mentoring because you might be coaching and mentoring the wrong person that person is not actually a leader that is why i said you know once when i was interviewed by um, ashraf gada
1: yeah Ashraf,
0: that you know because he asked me are leaders born or i said you know what i don't think so because you know leaders you you need to know you you might be born not to lead but because of your conviction and because of your belief because of your stand because of your character that you have grown around because you were learning. I saw Ralph behaving this way as CEO of uh, TopCom Media. I emulate Ralph. That's a learning and that I can be a leader and I can be built around to become a successful leader. That for me is important because you can have qualifications, high qualifications, but they don't actually prepare you to be a leader
1: i i'm i'm skeptical of your time and, I, and i've kind of got one really big question to ask you because i think that you know at the moment we're talking about the reliance on growing this economy through infrastructure and, and government i mean how how important is it entrepreneurs like yourself is that we support them and how do we grow more entrepreneurs in south africa and and what's your take on entrepreneurship generally in south africa versus the rest of africa so quite a big I must, I must
0: say, you know, unfortunately in South Africa, entrepreneurship has become tenderpreneurship.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, so um, I'm not talking about Yeah. I'm
1: talking
0: about entrepreneurs that have an idea that they want to put into the market and require the necessary support. In South Africa, we've got not too many of entrepreneurs that I'm talking about. There's a lot of tendpreneurs on the continent however there's a lot of entrepreneurs people who go out take risk who are prepared to learn who are wanting to be supported whether financially or socially or whatever that are ready to go out there to put something that they have developed themselves onto the market and yet um, i guess You know, when you look at what the entrepreneurs that are coming out of the continent as I travel, what they're asking me to do to help them is more of positioning and unpacking their products and unpacking their processes of being able to apply and qualify through their business plans for financing. And so helping them to unblock that for them to put something onto the market rather than go and be an entrepreneur that takes somebody's product, polish it, cover it with their names, and sell it. No, for me, that's not entrepreneurship, Ralph. Yeah. So, and for me, when I see young people who are truly entrepreneurs, I will go all out to support them financially, emotionally, help them to put their products on the market and use the product myself and help market that product even broader, but also help them to diversify. You know, during this time of COVID, we were at home, but young people were working. I mean, I got WhatsApps and SMSs and emails and LinkedIn you know, queries and questions, they were busy. And a number of them came up with amazing innovations during this period and it allowed them to position themselves in this time of COVID and post-COVID. These Mm. for me are entrepreneurs.
1: For sure. I mean, how do you see us driving more entrepreneurship in South Africa? Because I do think- Not
0: really. That's what I'm saying. We're driving tenderpreneurs. For us, we want entrepreneurs to tender rather than look at the opportunity and give the opportunity to young people to position Mm. themselves. So tendering has become a problem. That is yeah. why I'm saying we've got a lot of tender premiers. Yeah, and we must sure. reduce this mentality. We must bring a mentality of innovation, of young people being supported from the beginning. Our head office in Pretoria is based at the Innovation Hub. I am so proud of the Innovation Hub, of the work that they are doing to encourage innovation. And every year they give awards to innovators. These young people are doing amazing stuff. You must see the new technology that we are now using in this country. It comes from the innovation hub, supporting township innovation, supporting young people who have got ideas that they want to put on the market. Those people, those I call entrepreneurs in this country.
1: We should be getting hold of them and helping them, because you're right. Definitely.
0: Definitely. They are here at the Innovation Hub. You will be amazed when you see what these young people are doing.
1: I certainly would be. Snowy, it was electric um, being with you. I felt your energy through, 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 through the bandwidth. <laughs> I can feel it. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, we are so grateful for your time. I think I think it's always great to speak to leaders in South Africa who have got a continental perspective. It's weird, though, because everybody I speak to in a leadership position like yours is so enthusiastic about the continent, so enthusiastic about South Africa. And I, yeah. my, my feeling is we need to share that more because I think there's not enough people who are exposed to the opportunities and to, Indeed. you know, what we have to do. But they've got to get off their butts a little bit, I suppose. That's really half of it. They've got to work harder, even if they're quick, They've got to work a little bit harder to get that next opportunity. Um, um, so that's what I also see. Congratulations on your award.
0: What is my, what is my
1: award? When am I receiving it? Ah, you see. <laughs> yes. I was going <laughs> to ask you one last thing then. Yeah. Why, because you, you're you an established businesswoman. You've won many awards. Yes. Right? But you are very grateful for the award that you received. and And... Why is that? Why is awards important to you? Why do you think awards are important?
0: You know, for me, Ralph, awards are important because it's a recognition of the contribution that people are making. It's not yeah. about, you know, receiving the certificate or the, the trophy. Yeah. It's about the feeling that somebody out there is seeing your contribution and it encourages you to do even more
1: yeah. of
0: that. So, and really, truly, I appreciate your company. I appreciate your leadership. For what you are doing to recognize people and for them to take that top core media award and be able to celebrate it with others and encourage others you know I'm, i'm on twitter and i was really amazed at the number of congratulations and words and people that i don't even know to say i've been following you you know mama can i be a one of your mentees you know things like those and for me this is what you as a company are doing. And I want to say thank you and congratulations for the great work Ralph, that you guys are doing. I'm not saying this because I'm buying your face. I'm saying this because it comes from my deeper being, having been being appreciated by you, Standard Bank, and the rest of the world, mm. and to say thank you. Mm. I truly, truly appreciate it. And this is an encouragement and a motivation for others, to want to walk in this journey that I've walked. So thank you very much. I've got goosebumps.
1: I've got goosebumps everywhere. Um, I can't tell you how it it makes me feel. I think one of the things with COVID was as a business, we were used to doing things in a physical world. We had to move to a digital. It was quite scary for me and definitely the whole team. And I think our overriding thoughts were, well, this is gonna be really difficult to do something of this nature in a digital. It's not gonna be the same and people are gonna feel like it's different. But I think we were all driven by the fact that in this moment, it's even more important to recognise people. Indeed, exactly than ever before. What we've ever done, But exactly. and, it, and, and it and it showed how important not just what we do. I think I think what we do is one for small part because each organisation needs to do their own awards. They need to do their own recognition. Yeah. Each family, yeah. each community. I think it's just yeah. a part of human nature. We need that as yeah. individuals and and people. So I'm I'm really grateful. For for your comments it's you know we're going to bag it and record it and share share with people
0: <laughs> thank you very much Ralph and i wish you well in your journey as ceo of uh, topcom media and i know mm-hmm. as as we all know that being a leader in this time in this covert season is not easy but i wish you well i bless you and may you succeed may everything that you touch turn into gold okay and let's topcom media <laughs> be known
1: around the world. Thank you so much. Thank you, you're amazing, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Ralph. (laughs)